Hey, it's Devin. Before we get into today's episode, I just had a couple of things that I wanted to uh, say quick. And, and one of those is, if, if you've been listening for a while, um, you might realize that The Wildlife is now in its fifth year. And I, I have to admit, that's, it's not something I predicted. Um, really, none of this is, is something that I predicted. Of course, there was things that I hoped for and that I dreamed of, but The Wildlife as it exists today... Um, I never saw it coming. And really, that's kind of the funny thing about life, and, and that's a theme that's going to come up in today's episode. You really never really know where life is going to bring you. You can guess, you can plan, you can try to, but ultimately, you're just along for the ride. And as time has gone on over these years, um, my, my priorities, my outlook, my tone, my perspectives... They've all shifted. But um, one thing's for sure. The wildlife isn't going anywhere. I'm going to keep making episodes. I'm going to keep making content. I have all kinds of ideas. Some are just uh, drying on the paper, and some are more in the works than uh, I'm, I'm ready to share at the moment. But uh, lots, of, lots of ideas, lots of hopes, lots of... Uh, aspirations. And, and the thing is, is that seeing those things become a reality, they need support, your support. And you can do that as a, as a member patron at patreon.com slash Devin Boker for as little as a dollar a month. There are some things that come along with it, some little behind the scenes things and special perks and, and an upcoming uh, patron exclusive that I'm working on with Peanut Pottery LLC, um, which I'm really excited about. But um, ultimately, it's, it's, about, it's about being a part of the process, being along for the ride, um, helping, helping me see where this ends up in another five years. Um, and if you can't support at this time, because I know things are crazy, um, just thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And uh, stay tuned, because it's a good one. Hey everybody, you are listening to The Wildlife. I'm your host, Devin Boker, and today, oh today, I cannot tell you how excited I have been for this particular moment. Jeff Corwin is on the show. American biologist, wildlife conservationist, currently the host of ABC's Saturday morning show, Wildlife Nation, in partnership with Defenders of Wildlife. Also very much well known for Disney Channel's Going Wild with Jeff Corwin, uh, the Jeff Corwin experience on Animal Planet, Ocean Mysteries, Ocean Treks, and so many other projects. Absolute idol. So when I grew up watching uh, on, on TV, just like so many of the people listening to this probably did. Just an absolute dream come true. We talk about so many things. Uh, his new show, um, some behind-the-scenes tidbits of like how making these sorts of things go, important lessons learned, core wins, witnessing the impacts of, of climate change firsthand, 
existential coping, finding the right tone, respect for wildlife, confronting climate change, and hope for the future. So, let's get to it. Well, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So you have a new show, uh, Wildlife Nation. It's on ABC. Um, what was the what was the idea, the the aim behind this show? So uh, very excited about Wildlife Nation. We actually just filmed our final episode for this season. Very cool. And uh, it was a, a pretty incredible story. It was all about uh, elephant seals and how they're mm. surviving climate change and working with this groundbreaking research conservation project with the University of California, Santa Cruz was awesome. And this series has just been a real joy, especially coming out of COVID, which was kind of the genesis of it was interesting. Before COVID, the season before COVID, I went to 26 countries, was on hundreds of flights, flew nearly a million miles that that year. And during mm-hmm. the nearly two years of COVID, I went on a plane once. And it really was uh, a reality check to me that if I was going to continue to tell the stories of nature, wildlife, and, and get in the front lines of these awesome adventure stories with principal investigators that are saving mm-hmm. species, it was not going to happen overseas. It was going to be in the U.S. So connecting with the network, with her star partner and with ABC to say, could we re-explore opportunities? Is there room for a national U.S.-based, North American-based series in wildlife and nature? And everyone had enthusiasm for it, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then to reapproach a partner to help make it possible. So Defenders of Wildlife, pioneers when it comes to North American conservation and advocacy for wildlife. And my approach to them was, let's take your mission of protecting wildlife and let that be the fuel that sends me on the road to tell the story of wildlife and the conservation heroes trying to save these species. And we were able to make it all stick together. And uh, that's kind of how it came to be. It was out of COVID realizing that I was not going to be going to India this year. I was not going to be going to South America this year. I had projects in these countries. And early on, I remember it was like, oh, let's give it a month. Let's let's steam the pressure out of the balloon. And I did not know we'd all be long hauling into this. The other side of it, I think, Mm -hmm. coming out of all the ugly politics and the avarice and the angst and tension, and people being locked inside. Yeah. I think people were hungry to go on an adventure in North America and look at wildlife and nature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think, you know, there there have been some good things to come out of all of this and and, and definitely one of those is some not rediscovery lot, of our own backyard. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not yeah. a lot, but you know, where where you can find the silver lining, um, there yeah. are there are bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, absolutely. One of the things that, um, you know, for, for being a show that is based in in the U.S. and, and North America, it has an extraordinary um, scale and, and range. I mean, it it does a great job of showcasing the, the, the incredible diversity that we have here. 
Um, what are what are like some of the I guess maybe mo- more polarizing uh, locations that you visited for the show? I, I would say stories that really took me aback. Mm-hmm. So as you're right, um, we are traveling around the United States and we're looking at little things. We're doing stories on invertebrates to big things like elephant seals and big sea turtles and and manatees. And after doing this now for just under 30 years and a lot of these stories, it's like there's a deja vu sense to them. Like, I feel like I've done this before and it's because I have. But but it's now very different in the opportunities of the stories to explore and also in a very um, urgent way. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we did a, a story on coral reefs off of Florida, and it was actually a really interesting episode. I had done other projects filming patch reefs off of southern Florida, and for those who don't know, our only coral reefs in North America are off of Southern Florida. And they're locked up, a lot of them in state parks and national and a national park. So you think, okay, they're all nice and safe. Mm-hmm. I did not know that 98% of the, the, the reef is gone. That, that all of our coral reefs are no longer able to, to reproduce sexually on their own because of how disparate they are that when they release their reproductive gametes it's like they have to win the lottery in order for them to reconnect and and that so now the only way to reproduce coral reefs are in a laboratory where necessity being the mother of invention scientists Mm -hmm. are creating these artificial spawning events and then having to produce these little micro corals and then replant them and then one storm makes it so they have to start over. So that for me was quite revelatory. Or I've done many stories on black-footed ferrets about how that's often been yeah. looked at as, as a success. And I remember like being with my oldest daughter. She's now in college, but she was like four or five years old, releasing 14 black-footed ferrets into Wind Cave. And I remember saying, and now, look, now we have 2,000 of them living in the wild. And I said that, and someone, oh, no, no, no. It's not 2,000. I'm like, oh, is it 4,000? Is it 5,000? Like, no, it's 600 now. I'm like, what happened? Well, plague happened. Distemper mm-hmm. happened. I did a recovery story on condors 11 years ago. Hands-on, incredible story. And there was just under 350 living in the wild. It's not increased because of, yeah. of lead poisoning. So to me, those were like really stirring urgent stories that need to be told. But probably the one I think that really uh, kind of sobered me up to where we are with nature mm-hmm. is the Columbia Basin pygmy rabbit. So I, a lot of people probably don't know what this creature is. Sure. I actually learned about it in this series, Wildlife Nation. It's the tiniest wild rabbit species on the planet. And because of forest fire and disease, mainly a new disease coming from Europe that's invading this year and these unprecedented mega fires, the population Mm -hmm. is 300 and it was reduced by half this year from one fire. Wow. So that species may, may not have a story to tell in season Mm -hmm. two. 
it's that close to extinction. Now, this isn't the uh, pygmy rabbit's first near extinction. At one point in the early 2000s, they were down to just 50 in the wild. But this disease being likened to the rabbit version of Ebola, as well as just the absolutely unimaginable impacts happening to the landscapes which they live in, this species is on the brink. Now, I did want to go into a little bit more detail about this particular species in this moment just because I looked them up and they're adorable and fascinating. But honestly, I'm going to save that for a future episode. I think that for me is, you know, why this series is so important is to show the urgency, but also to, to, to show that through determination and through science and through good policy and stewardship, there is an opportunity to recover these species, but we may be the last generation to do so. Which is, um, it's, uh, it's grounding um, to, to, to think um, in, in, that, in that kind of perspective. I know it's a, it's a challenge in general, just you know, talking about these sorts of things. And, and I know that tone, um, tone is so important in, in trying to communicate science and talking about climate and conservation and stuff because while it's it's unfortunately it's something that's it can be divisive um and it, and i i guess i wonder i mean how do you balance how do you balance the the sense of of wanting to grab people by the shoulders a bit and 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 say look <laughs> uh, you know look at look at this look at what's happening you know and there's things that need to be done and and keeping things um light and and uh, approachable and understandable i mean what how how well for me it's really uh, that's kind of my mantra is to have fun in the journey have a mm-hmm. great time to show the human side of the scientist and also to tell these stories in a way that people understand this is a serious situation but at yeah. the same time there is hope and mm-hmm. there is an opportunity and if we work together we can salvage a particular wild species or a wild place and and climate change is a part of this and we see this right. everywhere we go we're seeing this uh, you know the reason why the coral reefs are all but gone off of southern florida is because mm-hmm. of climate change, water quality, pollution, plastics, yeah. manhandling, uh, overloved tourism all have an impact, sunscreen. But the biggest mm-hmm. factor contributor is climate change. The seas are warming, the, the, the corals are stressing, and they're bleaching out, and they're dying. So I think at this point, if you don't believe in climate change, you know, I don't, I'm, you're not my target because there's probably yeah. a lot of other things you don't believe in. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you're, 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 you're probably on a, on, on the, on a side of a fence that is unclimbable and I can't mm-hmm. reach you. I vote you're, you're already lost. Mm-hmm. So for someone though, who maybe is on the edge or, you know, you know, may, maybe, or maybe we can approach it from a different angle. Maybe we don't. Okay, so maybe, you know, climate change isn't what you're looking at, but let's look at environmental factors. But for people who don't believe in climate change, you know, probably the same people that don't believe in vaccines and the same people that believe the earth is flat. You know, look, you don't want to wear your seatbelt and drive into a stone wall. That's your business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I can't save you. No one can save you. Yeah. You know, No, I I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I, I have to say, you know, I've I've been I, I've been watching you since I was very young. Um, you know, you and and Steve Irwin and you know, you were the inspiration um for the type of work that I have gone on to do. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, that I've been able to, you know, tertiarily, uh, pass on to, to students and, and things like that as well. You know, there's, there's definitely, um, an impact you, you've made an impact, uh, on, on me and I know countless others. I wonder, do you ever, you know, being, being in, in this field as long as you have and, and, and communicating science and, and trying to talk about, uh, the need for protecting the natural world for, uh, for as long as you have. I mean, do you ever have moments where you are uh, questioning questioning your impact, questioning the the work um, that you are doing? I think so. I think we all mm-hmm. have self doubt. I'm riddled with self self doubt. I think most people that are 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 strivers and achievers, they're driven by self doubt i always feel that way you never especially in the television business mm-hmm. which is a part of the entertainment business you never really feel like you make it you're always kind of pushing and driving and um but then you know as life evolves and you have a family and you've been able to see people that have um have had positivity in their lives and have made made contributions based on their connection to me through the various projects that I've done. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And that feels really great. But there are, you know, other things I'm thinking about. I almost, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a, I'm a passionate naturalist and outdoors person. I literally go on a hike every day. I do between a six and 10 mile hike every day. I try to anyways, no matter where I, unless something is stopping me because of weather or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I went a hike today. Um, when I'm on the road, I always find a wild place to go on a hike if I can. But, uh, you know, you start to realize that you, you have to start looking into your own world and think about, mm. I've got a kid in college. I've got a kid in middle school. Yep. You know, I've got bills to pay. I've got a family. I've got dogs. All the, the, the true reality of your life becomes in the forefront. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't really doubt it, but I, I think like anyone, I have moments of self doubt. I also see the way things change and evolve mm-hmm. and how media has changed. And I've been very fortunate to keep up with it mm-hmm. for as long as I have. And my goal is to always make it new and different for me and for the audience. And I think that's what, what, what allows it to stay fresh. You know, something I've I've always wondered is, you know, when you're when you're working on a series like this, like like Wildlife Nation, you know, how how are you deciding um, what stories to tell? You know, what to focus on, where where to go? You know, where are you bringing the audience? Well, that's an interesting question. So, this year presented itself with more challenges than typical years. For example coming out of COVID, actually, I keep saying coming out of COVID, we're still in it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, many projects that I would have had an opportunity to highlight and feature Mm -hmm. were were, um, dormant, were hibernating or on life support because 
the funding had dried up, but they're not in the field or they're working remotely and all this sort of stuff. So I feel incredibly lucky that we were able to find the stories and have them be as robust and compelling as they have been. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, it's things that I assumed we would have in the docket. They just weren't happening because those scientists weren't working in the field. There were whole there were people that just retired out, dropped out because of COVID, because yeah. you know, there's their research was already on the edge and this was just kind of the nail in the coffin for them. Yep. Yep. Also coming out of a an administration where right. where the environment was not a priority and mm-hmm. conservation was not a priority, science was not a priority. So right. you so a lot of people were sidelined because of that. Then you throw in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were able to achieve the stories that we wanted. And then there was also the challenge of, you know, this was a, this was something I had this epiphany in the winter. Well, in January. Well, so from January to when we shot, now remember, now you have to keep mind because it's for ABC, mm-hmm. we have to deliver episodes on, on a certain schedule. So we can't start filming in September because our first episodes are in early fall. So we had to be in production in the springtime and we literally the paint was drying at the, when we opened up shop and then it's all about what are the stories we feel people need. We can't have our first season be all about crocodiles. It has to be diverse, diverse ecosystems, diverse Mm -hmm. wildlife. We need to do something in Alaska and something in Florida and something in California, something in Massachusetts. And it's also about defenders as the, as our sponsor, our partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what are their priorities when it comes to conservation, climate change, habitat, wildlife? What are the stories they would like to explore? They don't tell us how to do the stories. They don't tell me how to be the TV host, and but they. But they have a mission as a as a sure. as a very important conservation organization, and and in a way, their overall arc to connect nature to us in a sustainable way is a part of our fuel and mm-hmm. engine to drive us. And I I had the privilege of of previewing the uh, upcoming episode for this Saturday, where you uh, found yourself in the Tongass Forest, which is an absolute dream. Uh, of mine, uh, just to say, and, 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 and looking at the, the change in the glaciers and, and the, the salmon populations and, and what's impacting the salmon populations and, and really the interconnectedness of it all. And I wonder, I mean, this is not your first time in the Tongass. Um, how has it changed, um, in, in your, you know, from your previous visits to now? So, the great thing about the Tongass is that it has not changed in a very visual, distinctive way. Mm-hmm. The Tongass forest is still gigantic. It is our yep. largest stretch of old growth temperate rainforest on the planet. It, it is fondly known as the salmon forest. Yes. So the in a good way, it's not like Madagascar, where when I first went to Madagascar, 85% of Madagascar gone is gone. And now when you go there, 98% of Madagascar is gone. You notice that it's very distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a barrier reef in 
Australia that I can't even recognize, or even reefs in, in Hawaii that I was so familiar with. I had a series, Ocean Mysteries. We were yeah. constantly in Hawaii filming there. Mm-hmm. I remember it was there a couple of years ago, and I'm like, where's that beautiful place that we loved? I wanted to go there, and the guy's like, you're here. It was just gray and fishless. Wow. You know, that is kind of jarring. But the Tongass Forest is largely intact. It faces challenges, but it is often looked at as our solution as a big sequestering um, component for climate change. But the glaciers are what really take me back. So Mendenhall Glacier is shrinking so fast that within my lifetime, a lot of it will be gone. And by the time my children are seniors in age, most of it will be gone. 75% of that whole ice field will be gone. So that impact will be huge because it contains... Though all of Alaska's glaciers contain most of the water for which these streams and rivers depend upon for salmon and trout and other forms of wildlife. You know, the irony is that this was a great year for salmon in Alaska. So Mm -hmm. we did another story uh, also in Tongass outside of Sitka, working at this incredible salmon weir where normally their salmon count, they stop counting at a certain amount. And the numbers to stop counting at were months ago, and they had now counted into the tens of thousands more. But Mm -hmm. that does not necessarily, that's a window of of salmon today of that one age class. It does not necessarily say the history of salmon. Mm -hmm. So the reality is, is we are losing our glaciers, and it's a really big deal. And that you can distinctly experience and witness. There's a hotel that they just finished near Juneau and it was built so you could sit on your porch and look at the glacier. And by the time they finished, it had receded beyond the view of the hotel. That's oh, how wow. fast it's disappearing. Mm-hmm. Jakob Chauvin Glacier in Greenland loses enough water every day to supply New York with water for a year. And so in that episode, if it's the one I think you're talking about, you can actually see how in such a short period of time, yeah, the, the terminus of that glacier has retreated miles into the interior. You can look at an Ansel Adams photograph yeah. from quintessential iconic glaciers. And if you went out to the, those areas and you looked up, you would not find those glaciers because in, in but a century, they've been denuded so dramatically. Yeah. Now, Jeff started doing these shows and things before the year 2000, but just to give you uh, some additional perspective, between 2000 and 2019, glaciers globally lost 267 gigatons of ice per year. That's equivalent to a 21% sea level rise and uh, the equivalent to submerging the entire surface of England under two meters of water every single year one of those years. So I have to wonder, and maybe this is a little bit of a, uh, uh, you know, a self-interested answer perhaps or a question. Um, but you know, as someone who, who, I mean, we're all seeing impacts in a variety of different ways, but as someone who has seen, you know, such, such extreme changes, who is, who has been to so many different places on the planet and, and has been able to see the, these impacts of climate change, you know, so viscerally, so firsthand, you know, how do you, how do you cope with 
with that and and have hope for the future? Well, you have hope because I think for the most part, in most places, most people do care. Mm-hmm. Just like you can't look at one cohort of salmon as a way to measure how the entire species is going to do in the future. You can't sure. look at one cohort of humanity in one time to say, man, we're done based on this behavior. There is a whole generation of young global citizens that this is a priority. Mm -hmm. For my children, climate change is forefront and paramount to them. And that is what gives you this sense of hope. Also, I have to accept that we are going to lose a few battles. Yeah, We will lose some species. I have filmed species in in um, high definition television. I'm not talking like a black and white photo that are now yeah. extinct, yeah. that are gone forever. And yet, then all of a sudden, there's a miraculous discovery, and they're able to recover species. There are species like condors and black-footed ferrets that, although faced to facing challenges today, there mm-hmm. is this 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 support foundation that's trying to protect them. And they're certainly doing better than they were four decades ago. Yeah. The Blackfooted yeah. ferret was extinct. The California condor, at one point, there were none in the wild. Right. Uh, a few, more, uh, two do- the two dozen, give or take, condor or two that were left, all had to be scooped up and taken very controversially into captivity mm-hmm. to create this Head Start program. 80 years ago, there were no wolves in the American West. Now there are wolves. Of course, mm-hmm. then there comes the controversy and people not trying to find a find a way to live in balance with wolves. Right. But so we may lose the reefs off of Florida. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, how do we bring them back in the future? And how do we prevent that from happening in other ways? It's like anything, as you get older, you begin to accept that you can't change everything and you can't fix everything, but mm-hmm. maybe some things will have been made better because of whatever mission you were on to try to make a difference. I know that in my own life, as a child, we never saw bald eagles in New England. Yeah. I, mean, I saw a bald eagle today, right where I live. And I live on an estuary and on the coast. I see you know, turkeys and deer. We've had this big yeah. recovery of species so there's a lot to celebrate, but there's a lot to be terrified about as well. You, like I said, you know, you were among among the like the, the surge in 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 um, you know animal enthusiasts on television, you know, at, at a certain point. And um, I, I there's there's lots of I would say like YouTube or 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 like TikTok type. I don't want to say copycats per se, but you know, like people who, who will go out and, and then, and then they're like, you know, uh, want to be Steve Irwin's jumping on top of a snapping turtle in the water and pulling them out. And I see these types of things. And, and sometimes what I see as like the, you know, the reasoning is like, Oh, well, you know, people do it on TV. And, you know, I grew up watching Steve Irwin and he used to do that kind of thing. And, um, respect for wildlife. You know, there's there's been a there's been an uptick in injuries related to, uh, you know, people taking 
selfies with bison at uh, uh, Yellowstone and, and things like that. And, you know, what what is your um, what is your thoughts on on the the respect for wildlife piece? The, you know, for people who want to connect with wildlife but right. need to do it maybe more responsibly. Um, so first of all, I don't I don't really I don't watch nature shows on TV. Mm-hmm. The last thing I I live a nature show. Yeah. So it's like anything, you know, if I worked in a cheesecake factory, I can guarantee you I would not be having a slice of cheesecake oh, when no. I came home. <laughs> or if you worked in a salmon factory, you probably wouldn't be eating canned salmon when you right. when you got home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I, right now I'm watching the Righteous Gemstones or I'm watching, <laughs> you know, a, you know, I'm watching um, raised raised by raised by wolves on it and I'm like trying to figure that out. So I don't, mm-hmm. I've never ever said, hey, I'm going to search the Ennite and see, you know, who's out there, you know, doing something similar to what I would have done over the years. Or Sure, sure. So it's just not a part of, at this point in my career, at this point in what I do, mm-hmm. uh, I don't feel the need or the desire. When someone said, like, we're doing a project where someone said, oh, do you want to help? draw the blood from this sea lion that needed, we need to do a blood test. And, and I could see myself not so long ago saying, yeah, I love it. This will look really cool. And I get to be a yeah. part of it. And I'm like, yeah. and I just, I'm like, you're doing a great job. You don't need my help. Let yeah. me just yeah. sit here and talk about it. Yeah. I don't have that desire anymore. It's like people are like, all right, we're going to get in the mud. I'm like, I just got these boots. You know, <laughs> I'm like, yep. I'll meet you at the boat. I mean, I yeah. love being a part of the story and telling the story. My desire is to create a story and cultivate it in, in a way that is compelling. Yeah. And I am yeah. very happy to kind of pull back a little bit and let the people that I'm working with take center stage to yeah. highlight the work that they're doing with wildlife. Yeah, I think that's great. It, being being more like the the author or the narrator rather than you know the the main character, um, so to speak. Yeah, I'm already yeah. the main character. Right. <laughs> I just don't. I don't. I, I I just don't need to inject myself into every single second. Yes. And I think sometimes we're working with folks and like, oh well, we're really excited because you're gonna we're gonna take this story and it's gonna be in front of a big audience and mm-hmm. so whatever you want. You and it's like actually I'm just, you know, you're doing a great job. You catch yeah. that crocodile. I'll be on the bank. Bring it over here. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago I'll be like, you stay here, I'll go get the crocodile. If I remember right, you had an you had an injury a number of years ago. Um, related to an elephant. Um, I believe that was working on that series with Anderson Cooper. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. That is true. Yeah. And how, I mean, did that, did that on any level, you know, impact your like eagerness to kind of jump into the, in the action? No, uh, it didn't. Although it really took me by surprise and it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was an incredibly painful injury. My arm had sure. almost pr- pretty much crushed by an elephant. But no, I it I actually worked with that very same elephant years later at mm. that wildlife orphanage in Phnom Penh. It was called Nam Tamau in Cambodia. And when that elephant was behind me, I kind of was looking over my shoulder a little bit <laughs> sure. the second time. Yeah. Like I only have two arms, yep. I almost took one, 
And it reminded me how quickly something can go south like that. And yeah. you always hear those stories. And I've worked with many, many elephants. I've worked mm -hmm. in orphanages. I've helped relocate elephants. I've sedated them. I've, yeah. you know, I've put radio collars on them. I've done a lot of stuff with elephants over the years. I'll put prosthetic foots on them for ones that have lost their feet to landmines and snares. Yeah. Um, but you know, probably then I probably weighed 160 pounds and this thing, you have no chance, yeah. Yeah, you know, right. an elephant having a tantrum or a bad day, you won't survive. So I was yeah. very, very lucky. It didn't really change the way I was not happy about it. They loved it because it was very sensationalistic and it really mm. was. Yeah. But like, I couldn't stand it because I felt that affected the message I wanted to right. share Right. And once it had happened, I knew they were never going to let that go. Yeah. So literally, yeah. it's like I'm on, you know, this was this was called Planet in Peril. And like the next thing we're showing, it's beginning with that shot because it made huge yeah. news. And then, of course, all your detractors loved mm -hmm. it and they would love to exploit it and use it. Eventually, you just let it go. And, it, yeah. you know, you just it just bounces a few which you wish the elephant had bounced a few but you just yeah. let it go but i mean th that's to me wasn't the most scariest thing you know the most scariest thing to me is like being in a coup d'etat in yeah. another country that's a terrifying thing i've been in those or being mm -hmm. a being in a plane crash with your little kid in alaska we that happened twice we were in wow. emergency landings where we could have been killed wow. uh in remote parts of alaska things like that are what what you worry about yeah i you know and i've i've seen i've even seen you know clips before of you know it doesn't even need to be a shark researcher or anyone you know someone who who had a a mild encounter with a shark and you know of course there's this big sensational buildup around it and but the people are like i you know it's not i have no ill will <laughs> you know it was just it was just a thing that happened and that's their nature and and yeah it's um, like that surfer in hawaii Right. And she lost her arm to a to a tiger shark. Yeah. And she's she got back in the surfboard and she became an advocate for tiger for yeah. uh, shark conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. Conservation. Conservation. One thing that I, I am curious about, you know, what is over this over this incredibly impressive career that you have had um, and are continuing to have? What what are you think what do you think are your, your biggest lessons that you've learned? I guess to the biggest uh, lesson I've learned is to to learn to let things go. Hmm. You learn to let a series go after it runs its its time. You learn to let you know negativity go. Uh, uh, where I'm a very very competitive person, and you know, mm -hmm. television is a very competitive business, so inevitably you're going to have this relationship that goes sour south over a business deal or whatever or yeah you know it's it's an unforgiving business so literally you could be working and everyone knows you're canceled except for you and then you find out like so i've learned to let that stuff go because mm -hmm. you realize you just get up and you go on and you get on the next horse and you keep moving and you keep growing i think that's how i've been able to survive in this business is that i've been able to adapt i mean that's really th the big lesson is like 
whether what your ratings were mm-hmm. or something that falls through, that becomes less of a big deal than when your daughter needs emergency surgery or right. something else happens. Those are the big deals. Yeah. It's, it's great if people watch my shows and allow me to make my show. If my show stops, I will find something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not worried about that. I like my job. I like the opportunities that it provides and the resources. But if that goes away at this point in my life, that, you know, my concern is, you know, my family and yeah. my community, right. those things are that the biggest lesson I've learned is to really understand what is valuable and what is important mm-hmm. and to not live in the past. You just move on. I have no interest in kind of living in my up and down celebrity of my career. It just, it's not what's important. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's wise. <laughs> it is. Well, I don't know if it's wise. It's just the only way you can survive it. Right. Because yeah, I suppose. life is yeah. going to change. Mm-hmm. I'm going, I'm becoming a person with gray hair and it's coming in really quick. <laughs> you could touch it up and touch it up and but eventually you just go look like an old person with unusually dark hair (laughs) or you accept who you are and you move on and you know if someone says something about it then because people are people are very very shallow and they say very very uh especially in the social media realm you say what do you care it's your hair you move on yeah the most important thing is when your kid comes home and they're upset because they had a bad day of school or there's a bigger issue or they come home and it's like my daughter came home. She had five classes and she got five A pluses. I was like, that was the biggest thing I could hear. And her joy of middle school. I don't know any kid that's like middle school, but she loves middle school. (laughs) Um, She, she, she loves the theater program and the teachers and, and learning. And that to me is like, okay, well, that seems to be working good in my life or, you know. Yeah, yeah, just right. Learn to accept and move on. What would you, what would you say are your, um, you know, hopes, hopes for the future, uh, you know, and career-wise or with, with the show, Wildlife Nation? You know, where do you hope things go? Well, I think we're in a great path with Wildlife Nation. Its ratings are really strong. It, it you know, often it's rating as the top show mm-hmm. on in its whole time block. We're beating out all these big popular shows. So that tells me people like the stories and want to yeah. be a part of the stories. Yep. And my goal is to make it grow with Hearst, with ABC, and, and more importantly with Defenders because I think their mission is so important and I feel that we are a voice for them, for their mission. But we are also... Um, a voice for scientists and conservationists and wildlife and nature. And I'd love to continue and have that evolve and look at new ways we can use our episodes and our audience and our footage to germinate different opportunities to share these important messages through other unique portals whether it's social media or digitally or and one of my big goals is to to find a way to translate all of these things into really cool interactive 
modules for science teachers and yeah. science students. That's something I'm yeah. working on right now to try to make that happen. It's a lot of hoops to mm-hmm. pull that up. But I think that's a very, very important audience. For me, that would be the success is to maintain these ratings, to build our relationships with our partners and our audience to keep it moving forward. Because, you know, for me, the reality is this is a very important platform. These are very timely, important stories to tell. And this is my window being opened now to stick my head out and yell these stories out. Mm-hmm. Who knows how long that will last? So I really want to take advantage of it and and um, keep it going and thriving for as, as long as, as that it works for everybody involved. Once again, a big thank you to Jeff Corwin for, for taking the time to sit down with me and uh, have this conversation. It was something... I will not soon forget. And, you know, afterwards, I I was on the phone with my brother and talking about the interview. And, um, you know, it's just so many things uh, about that conversation resonated with me personally. You know, talking about um, priorities and and shifts of focus and perspective and um, things that change with time and, and, and... not exactly knowing where life is going to take you, but but going with those changes and accepting those changes and, and shedding the negativity. And you know, being being consciously aware of the dark, but choosing, choosing to be guided by the light of hope. I, I think that's the exact kind of message that a lot of us could use right now. And speaking of, of time and, and life and its unpredictability, really, you know, I never would have imagined, you know, as a kid, you know, looking, looking up at the TV screen and, and watching Jeff, you know, out, out in the rainforest, you know, talking about, you know, a sloth or, or whatever it might have been. I never would have imagined that, you know, 20 years later, um, I'd be in contact with with him and, and his people uh, using a, a cell phone, um, having a conversation with him over something like Zoom, recording a podcast. Like, what was, what was a podcast? You just, you just don't always know uh, where life is going to take you. And I, I think, I think that's kind of what, I think that's kind of what's just beautiful about it. I don't know. Just, uh, Something I'm thinking about, and I feel like I'll be thinking about for quite a while longer. (laughs) Remember, check out Wildlife Nation with Jeff Corwin, Saturday mornings on ABC. This upcoming episode, uh, tomorrow, this Saturday, is all about confronting climate change. Jeff goes into the wilds of Alaska to understand the greatest environmental challenge of our time, which is climate change, of course. Jeff explores the beautiful Mendenhall Glacier, repels down cracks and crevasses, flies a drone high above the glacier's edge to discover how warming temperatures will forever change this ancient and massive block of ice. And then later in the episode, Jeff investigates the impact of melting glaciers on one of Alaska's most vital species, salmon. It is an absolutely thrilling, beautifully shot episode, so 
be sure that you check it out. As always, if there's something that you want to dive a little bit deeper into, uh, you can always check out the episode notes. There's always some helpful links and things like that. Or shoot us a message at hello at thewildlife.blog. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Devin Boker. This is Wildlife. Peace out, Rainbow Trout. <laughs>